This is the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie, and Husker Radio Network analyst, Jeremiah Searles. Welcome back into another episode of the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza with Jeremiah Searles. I'm Jessica Cootie, and... Searles, oh, we had so much hope, and it looks so promising for stretches there in the first half, but in the end, turnovers once again. It's it's hard for me to sit there and, and watch that defense play their absolute hearts out, play against one of the, one of the most high-flying, scoring-at-will type of offenses that you might see this year. And to have them hold them to 13 points in the first half and for us to come out there and not be able to score and move and turn the football over, you know, it's just really disheartening because I feel bad for those guys. You know, they're playing at such a high level and our offense is just not able to really keep up to them or really even just compliment them, right? We talk about how do you win football games, it's complimentary football. The offense complements the defense, defense complements the offense, special teams complements all three. Or You know, and it's just one of those things where we're just not firing on all cylinders, but Eight turnovers through two weeks, man. That's 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 bad. I'm pretty sure we're last in the country in turnovers. Well, we're going to dive into everything from the game, but I did want to go back. Uh, you killed it on the broadcast. We had so many compliments. You had to have a little bit of fun before the game got out of hand. I mean, the whole experience was great. I mean, Ben and I doing the pregame show when it was pitch black in Boulder. I mean, the sun wasn't even up. And all the way through the pregame, through the call, getting a chance to do that, that's been a dream of mine to do something like that, really since I was in college, you know. So just the fact I was able to get on, do the call, and it just made it that much special that I was back home in Boulder from, you know, Colorado where I'm from and, and the whole bit. You know, it was a blast. I had a lot of fun with it, and I hope to be able to do it again. Well, let's start from the beginning because, um, you know, yeah, we, we got on a bus at 4 a.m., and it was dark. They let the students in about two hours before. They were rowdy from the start. And one of your big keys was to silence the crowd and to take them out of it. And you had even mentioned that at one point that you were a little underwhelmed by the atmosphere because Nebraska did what we had said needed to be done. They kind of slowed the game out of the gate and took them out of it really from the start. In the first quarter or so, we're doing the keys that you thought were going to be necessary for Nebraska to come out with a win. Yeah, we weathered the initial surge, you know. I think that whole entire place was a powder keg just waiting to erupt after a big play from the offense, right? That's what that that's what that fan base expected. Right? They expected to come in there and see the TCU offense where they're scoring at will, they're doing whatever they want to do on offense up and down the field. And then once all of a sudden it kind of got derailed and it's the defense is getting after the offense, but it was this defensive struggle. The fan base didn't know what to do. Now, granted, they're CU fans, so they're not the brightest bulbs ever. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's just kind of like they're just sitting there, they're like on their hands. And it really wasn't until we started turning the football over that that crowd got really reinvigorated. You know, so that was a great job by us of just initial that, because there was a lot of energy. I mean, you were down on the sideline, you could feel it up in the booth. There was like when Ralphie ran, that place erupted. Like there was a lot of energy, and we did a great job of being able to sustain that and not let that affect us. The problem was once we had those turnovers and let them back into it, that crowd became erupted, which then became a factor in the snap count and everything back to it. But, you know, a lot of promising stuff early in that game from our offense before the turnovers. Well, let's start with the defense because I've, you have to start with the defense. Yes. And before the game, I was chatting with Terrence Knighton, and you could tell he was fired up. He knew that it could be a big day for his guys, and boy, was it. I mean, eight sacks, 11 tackles for loss. 
so many guys on the defensive line were just living in the backfield, and that was one thing that Coach Rule said at halftime. We're doing a great job of pressuring the quarterback. And a lot of the, the freshmen, I mean, without Ty Robinson, you saw a lot of guys step up and get in on the action. And guys' names that we hadn't called yet, but Cam Linhart, I think you saw flashes, at, and we've seen flashes from him, but how special he could be. Then you had Riley Van Poppel get in on the action. Kai Wallen, there were a number of guys on that front that were able to impact the game, and they were just rotating, and it was pretty seamless how they were running guys in and out, and you, it didn't, you didn't fall off when you were substituting guys in. And again, that is without Ty Robinson on that line in the first half. Yeah, no, guys stepped up in a big way. You know, even guys like Elijah Judy, who went in there and put on there. But, you know, the guy that really stood out for me, he didn't play much last week, was, was Gaber. You know, Makai Gaber went in there and absolutely was a force. He was lining up at middle linebacker, outside linebacker, rush end, and he was just playing with it. Really, really good motor, and he was affecting the quarterback. And then, you know, you talk about those guys up front. They wanted to try and come out and run the football a little bit, and there was nowhere to go. Like, they were doing a great job of slanting, staying in their gaps, not allowing double teams to get up on the linebackers. And whenever you can have a freshman like Lenhart have two sacks, right, you feel really good about what the future of his play here could be. And we talked about this. If you're going to play young guys on defense, you're going to take your lick sometime. It's like it, they're going to get got, right? That just comes a part of being growth and part of being a young player. But when you see the jumps and you see the flashes that young players can make, you get really excited about what the future can be. And so, yeah, with no Ty Robinson, that room had to kind of go through D-line by committee. And I really thought everyone did a great job. I mean, even Nash Upmaker was in there pushing the middle of it like he always does. And you got to see guys really step up to the plate and say, I deserve a seat at the table. I deserve a spot in this lineup. And I think we had like 18 defensive players play again, which is crazy. But you're absolutely right, Jessica. There wasn't this giant drop-off, right? And that means we're building depth on defense. And that and was depth on defense is really important down the stretch because Big Ten plays a war of attrition. And that was a concern that you and I had talked about um, going into in fall camp in the summer about the depth of the D-line. Two games in, I know it's still early, but, I mean, you got to feel better about where that group is at with some of the guys that have emerged that maybe we weren't sure if they were ready. And I think they're proving so far that they are ready to contribute at this level. Yeah, you know, it's still early. I'm not ready to anoint anyone kings yet. Right, but, yeah. But, you know, it's been promising to see the production that those guys have had. You know, they haven't looked lost. They look like they belong. They look like they can contribute. And, you know, it's now just can they do it week in and week out. You know, especially going in 0-2. How's their psyche? How's their mental? A lot of these guys probably came from high schools that were pretty good because they were D1 players. Right? They help their team's will. So it's a lot about how can they sustain that energy and keep coming to work and keep coming to practice and understanding what it means to be a team player. You know, It's good, but honestly, anytime you can have that many defensive guys rotating in and keeping us fresh, it's going to pay big dividends for us down the stretch. All right, let's talk about the secondary. And you know that was a big key matchup for you against those wide receivers. And again, they got going in the second half. But in the first half, I sat there and saw it. They, those Colorado wide receivers were frustrated, and I thought the uh, Husker defensive backs did a pretty solid job matching up against those elite wide receivers for the most part in the first half. Yeah, the pass rush and, and the pass protection, um, pass defense, I guess would be what it was, the coverage, really mirrored well, right? Tony White really mixed in the, the ability of blitzing with man coverage, blitzing with zone coverage, and then dropping eight. Right? I thought he did a great job of not leaving too many guys out on an island too often. 
And the thing that was really impressive, Jessica, was the tackling. You know, there was a few there was a few catches in there in that first half that if there's guys like Singleton, Omar Brown, uh, Quentin Newsom, and Hartsog aren't making open field tackles on gifted athletes, it's touchdowns, right? It's touchdowns. And through two weeks, our tackling has been very, very good. I can't think of a lot of missed tackles. You know, there were so many times the last few years you and I got on the show and we're like, man, I felt like guys were missing tackles all over the place. But these defensive backs are being called up in this 3-3-5 to understand they have to be physical at the point of attack. They have to come up and run defense in, this, in the box. And if they're going to be out of man coverage, they got to get guys down on the ground. And I thought they did a phenomenal job of that. Obviously, things in the second half got away from us a little bit. Tommy Hill got caught with his eyes in the back in the backfield, and, and Travis Hunter does Travis Hunter things running right by him. Or that might have been Xavier Weaver. But regardless, he got caught once or twice, and then they kind of got into a little bit of a rhythm, which threw us out of our defensive rhythm. Uh, there in the second half but I think they did just wear down a little bit you know they played I think 75 snaps was what I counted you know so they played a lot of snaps that's two weeks in a row they played more snaps than the offense you know so they're, they're getting wear down and it did get a little hotter on that field than I think people realize too yeah it was hot I mean I got a, I had a sunburn um on Sunday so it, it was hot it it really was and you think about too it's not just that they played more snaps there were couple of different times when they went out there that they had only just sat down that, mm -hmm. that it was a quick it wasn't like there were a few minutes in between like there were times that they were going right back out there so that's another thing too is there there weren't there weren't extended drives I did want to point this out on this because um, you know I wanted to get your take on this Ty Robinson makes the play of Minnesota has to sit out in the first half and, and we were all waiting for him to get back out there thought he was really going to feast when he did and, and again things just didn't go the way they needed to for the defense for him to really shine but I was so impressed with how he managed be, still being a leader on the sideline in that first half and not just with the defensive line I mean Tristan Alvano missed the field goal he went over there and put his arm around him for a long time and had a long conversation with him Jeff Sims after I think his second turnover he went over there put his arm around him had a long conversation with him and and it's not been something that we've seen I don't think as much out of Ty is is being that kind of leader but that's this team needs him to be that right I mean when you got a guy that's dominant that can be as dominant as he is to to lead in all phases not just his position group yeah, every team needs those leaders that can outstretch their arms and put their arms around guy, but also hold guys accountable. And it can't just be coming from their position room or even their side of the ball, right? You have obviously your, your offensive defense leaders, but those team leaders are special. And when you look around and look at this Husker team, you look at the guys that have played the most football for us. You know, Ty Robinson is at the top of that list. Of he's been through a lot. He's been through multiple coaches. He's been through coaching changes and, and everything, you know, scheme changes. And so for him to really just be able to rally around and be, a, he needs to be a guy, a pillar that young players look at and be like, man, I want to mirror not just how he plays, but how he interacts and how he does things off the field, how he prepares, how he takes care of his body, all those things. And it's a, it's a burden, but it's a great burden to have to be a leader. And I think Ty understands that. And I think Ty really embraces that. And, you know, when you can't help your team on the field, you have to find ways to help them as best you can. And being that leader on the sideline, that coach, that second coach that can connect with the guy, um, a second pair of eyes, all those things, you know, that was a big thing. You know, the one thing I will say is I was really hoping he was going to come in there and wreak more havoc, but I think it was just a little bit too little too late. You know, if I think if Ty was in there from early on, that nine sacks could have been possibly 10 or 11. <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about the one thing that does need to improve for the defense, and that's takeaways. I mean, Coach Rule told me that at halftime. That was the message that the defensive players that I talked to after the game, they all said the same thing, is that we, yeah, we, we got a lot of sacks and tackles for loss, but we got we to gotta find ways to get our own takeaways. So how, how does that happen? How does, that, how does the defense get more turnovers? Yeah, you know, I feel like being a Husker fan, it's always like, why doesn't the other team turn the ball over? You know, <laughs> but a lot of that is it's a combination of sacks and making guys put balls in bad positions, you know, going up in the air and getting it. And we were close on a few this week. You know, there's a couple times Sanders made some miraculous throws with guys around his legs or guys in front of him, and hats off to that guy. He played a hell of a football game. But, you know, it, it, a lot of those are going to be sack fumbles, and then also just understanding, hey, if a guy is out in the open space, punch at that ball, rip at that ball, do anything you can. And I have seen guys doing it. You know, turnovers are, should be hard to get. Um, you know, I think we just look at it and go, well, if they can get eight, why can't we get eight? You know, the turnovers are hard when guys have good ball security and don't make bad decisions. And, you know, hats off to Sanders and really even up to that guy in Minnesota. Uh, I can't remember his name, the uh, quarterback. You know, he had that one bad pick, but overall he had decent um, ball security. But you really just want to keep forcing ways in there, and just when you have a chance to make an interception, like think back to an Isaac Gifford in the touchdown in the end zone last week against Minnesota, you can't drop those, right? Because one thing that turnovers are is they're kind of contagious, right? Once you get one or two, like the offense starts thinking about it a little bit more, and everyone kind of wants to get in on the party on the defensive side, and so they kind of come in snowballs or just kind of all at once. So I think we're just still looking to get that multi-turnover game. And once we get a couple of those and really start getting that feast and feast on that, I think we'll see more of that. Valentino's, a slice of home you just can't get anywhere else. What started with a treasured family recipe in Lincoln, Nebraska, has become a classic Italian tradition for 65 years. All right, let's flip things over to the offensive side of the ball. Um, were there any positives, maybe being able to run the football a little bit more with Gabe and Ramir, uh, positive for this offense? No, I think Gabe Urban runs really hard. I love the way that he runs. I love the way that he puts his pads down and gets north and south. The one thing that we need to make sure that we do is, you know, early in the game, really the first series, we let too many linebackers run through the line of scrimmage on a couple double-team plays that are meant to hit downhill A-gap and force Gabe to bounce outside. That when we got back to those plays, even later in the second quarter, early in the third quarter, Gabe was not trusting his reads and he was looking to bounce outside because he felt like those linebackers would be right in his lap. And so, so much of what we need to do as offensive linemen is to give our running backs and give our quarterbacks trust that we're going to do our assignments and to just trust their reads and not think that they have to do something predetermined based off of what had happened beforehand. And the best way to do that is just not to let it happen in the first place. But, you know, I love the way that he ran the ball. I thought he took care of the ball well. You know, he got out into open space and you saw the way that he put two hands over the football. And then, you know, I also really like the fact that we got Billy Kemp involved in the passing game. Guy got held to zero catches last week against Minnesota. He got involved earlier. He had some big catches. He had some big third down conversions. We need to use more of him, and we need to use more of 22. You know, I think those two dudes are our most advanced weapons on offense right now, and we definitely got to find a way there, especially if Sims may be out with the ankle. Well, obviously, we don't know where he's at with that, you know, but we can't rely on his legs as much. We really got to find other guys to step up. You also liked what you saw from Fedoni on the last offensive drive, right? Yeah, I mean, we were up in the booth trying to be like, well, what do we want to see here? This game's over. Um, but we really wanted to see, hey, can we build off something? And Thomas Fedoni's a guy that for so many years, three years now, I always think of when I say Thomas Fedoni, I think of a junior. But in reality, the kid's a freshman. 
Right? The kid has never played a season because of injury. So I have to give this kid some more grace. I think we all do. Of He's still just kind of figuring out as he's going here. And, you know, seeing him get two really good catches, one the contested catch there where he goes up and plucks it out of the air, something that we thought might be an interception for a conversion, and then obviously making the nice touchdown grab. Hopefully that can give him to some confidence. And really, if, if Harburg has to play this week, that can give them some chemistry uh, to go out there and use him as a weapon. Because if you can talk about a tight end threat, I mean, you look at it from the NFL all the way down, the tight end position is one of the most unutilized positions in all of football. And if you have a dude that you can go out there and create mismatch on linebackers and safeties, it's so pivotal for your offense, and it can be such a weapon. All right, let's talk about the snaps. I um, delayed it as long as possible. You watched the film. You watched it live. Um, mm -hmm. What can you gather? Because, you know, when I talked to Coach Rule in, at half, and it wasn't just the, the drop, the fumbles that were turnovers. There was another bad snap that stalled a drive earlier in the game, too. And, and he mentioned that, that it was maybe a little bit of communication, the motion, the noise, a, a combination of things that led to, uh, you know, the, the bad snaps. But what was your takeaway from when you went back and, and rewatched it? Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend Ben Scott a little bit here. None mm -hmm. of them were bad snaps, right? None yep. of them were bad snaps. Every snap was catchable. It was the either timing of the snap or Sims just dropped it. And a couple things there on the drop snaps. You know, when I went back and looked at it, I was watching Sims, and Sims was really trying to see something on the defense, whether it was a blitz or he was predetermined, like, hey, they're sending the guy here. I want to get the ball there. And he just took his eyes off that snap at the last second. Now, that just can't happen, right? That's just an unacceptable error. And I think Sims will be the first one to tell you that, right? That's just got to get the play started. The play can't go if you don't get it started. And, you know, so that's something he's definitely going to work to get cleaned up. You know, the other ones with the motions, you see a lot of that. If you want to try and get a fly motion going at the snap of the ball, you want to get guys moving because, A, it's a pre-snap indicator. It tells you if it's man or zone coverage. But also it makes those linebackers not be able to read and react downhill as fast and see you as a fast-flow downhill linebacking core. And when they see a jet motion right at the snap, they have to respect that we might toss it to that guy, we might pitch it to that guy. And so it's, it's, we call it eye candy, right? It's a lot of eye candy in the background. The hard part is timing those just right with a silent cadence is actually very difficult because if you do it too early, then it's not a threat. If you do it too late, it's not a threat. It really has to be right at that exact moment. And when you're going on a silent and a head bob, and it, it, it's a three-step process, right? Sims lifts the leg, Piper puts the arm out, and then Ben Scott head bobs and goes. It's just a lot of things to get into the process. So, you know, I think if we're going to continue with that jet motion and stuff, it'll be a lot easier. Obviously, we've got five of the six at home, so we'll be able to use a snap count. But when you go back to that silent count, we'll have to do something that's kind of called on the quick or on the on the first sound, you know, where it's going to be having Ben Scott has to be looking through his legs, leg up, ball gone, right? Eliminate one of those steps to make it happen. Um, and also, you know, watching Lindermeyer when he got hit in the hip there with that, he needs to go. He was kind of starting to break down a little bit, anticipating the block on that split zone of him hitting the defensive end. So he kind of broke down right at the center position, right as the ball came. You know, he has a young tight end still learning too. He's got to get on his horse and go and clear that snap, especially if you're doing cross motion before the snap. So you think some of it was just maybe people trying to do too much, you know? I mean, yes. yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about Jeff Sims and him wanting to correct the turnover. So maybe he's trying to read too much to see so he doesn't make the same mistakes and then he makes a different mistake. And, and some of these other guys that they're just maybe trying to overthink things as opposed to doing what they've done in practice every single day. 
Yeah, you know, when you're struggling as an offense and you're struggling to move the ball and to score, you know, guys start to press. Guys start to press and think, I have to do more. or I have to, I have to gain a little bit more. I need to put my cape on and be Superman and really get this thing going. You know, we talked about that with Adrian Martinez when he was here about how he just felt like I have to do everything. And I think Jeff Sims is feeling a little bit of that pressure, you know, and, and rightfully so. He's the quarterback. Every quarterback feels that pressure because we talked about it, this offense will go as seven goes. And so for him, I think he might just be trying to force the issue a little bit too much instead of letting the game come to him. And that happened as well on his interception. You know, he rolls out to the right. He sees Fedoni on the sideline, and he misses the guy because he has like, man, i got to get this first down. i got to convert. And I see it. He, he just misses the safety falling off and coming underneath that, right? So it's just about seeing the whole thing and not forcing the issue, living to fight another day, and understanding punts are okay. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad thing to punt. It's a bad thing to turn the football over. And, you know, even on that missed exchange with him and Irvin, they're running a wham combination, which means the tight end's coming back to, to wham a defensive lineman. And that defensive lineman jetted up the field really fast. And I think Sims saw him as he was jetting and was his eyes were on the D lineman and not on the exchange. And he didn't quite get the ball out there enough. And I think Irvin also saw the D lineman way up the field and didn't trust that his tight end was going to get there and kick him out, which he did. And that ended up being the botched exchange there too. So, you know, a lot of it's just trusting your players, trusting your guys, trusting your teammates that they're going to do their jobs and just focusing on making sure I'm doing my job on the play. And as a, a, a ball handler from center to quarterback, you just have to get the play started. You just got to be able to do the fundamental stuff of football, snap the ball, catch the ball, hand the ball off. Okay, well, let's close the chapter. Let's move on. You got Northern Illinois coming in here, the home opener. And as we've said, Jeff Sims leaves the game there uh, with an ankle. There was no medical tent, so I could see what they were doing. They, they retaped the ankle. He jumped up and down. He ran out there like he was ready, and then he got pulled back off, and they, they stuck with Heinrich Harburg to close out the game. Um, what are you looking to see out of those quarterbacks, um, whether it's Heinrich or Jeff? What, what are you looking for to see how this offense can get going, whether whoever the quarterback is? Yeah, you know, the good news is I think Sims and Harburg both have very similar skill sets with their legs. Now, Sims obviously has more experience. He's played in a lot of football games. you know. But I think when you talk about will the offense change dramatically if Harburg is in as Sims are in, it's not. And that's why you always want to have backups that are similar to each other, right? If we were talking about Sims and Purdy, pretty different caliber of players. Purdy can run now, but he's not quite the dynamic runner that Sims is. Now, I think with Harburg, you're going to want to see a lot quicker passing game, a lot more RPOs, just because he's not as developed as a passer yet as far as seeing the defense, understanding pre-snap reads, and doing all that. So that would be more of what I would expect to see. If Sims can go, I fully expect him to go. But ankles are tough. Ankles are one of those things that a weak turnaround on an ankle, regardless, because in the moment... He's able to jump up and down. The adrenaline's pumping. He wants to get back in the game. You go get on a flight. You come home. That thing swells a little bit. It's hard to get swelling out of an ankle and feel like you can be your full self. So I hope that if Jeff Sims is not 100%, I think it's the Harburg show to roll. So we haven't seen Teddy Prowska yet, and we keep hearing that he's ready to go. Um, is that something that you'd like to see? And, again, I know it's a lot of it is these guys have been playing a lot together, but – um, is that something you maybe would like to see get him get worked back in there, maybe move Turner around a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Our guards, our guard play needs to be better. 
it just it's not great right now. It's very erratic. You know, there's times it looks great, there's times it looks really, really poor. And that is the death sentence of an O lineman, is inconsistency. Because you can be the best O lineman in the world, but if you give up three sacks a game, you're the worst. It doesn't matter what the other 70 plays were. If you had 77 plays and 76, 74 of them were phenomenal and three of them were sacks, you're going to get looked at as the worst offensive lineman in the country. And it's not fair by any means, but our offensive line across the board is being really inconsistent in how they go approach things. Sometimes they're double teaming and they're rolling. But our guard position needs to be more consistent. I'm talking Nuri and Piper and even Henry Lutovsky when he gets in there. So if we can get Teddy back and move Turner back in there and give him a chance to maybe bring us a little more stability because he has played so much football in there, I would like to see what that looks like. But I also want to make sure that we bring Teddy back when he's fully healthy. Right. Because the last thing we want is to put him out there if he's 85, even 90% and say, all right, bud, good luck. You know, because we won't want him to get hurt anymore. We don't need him to get dinged again. So I'm all okay with holding Teddy out until he looks at Riola and he looks at Rule and he looks at Satterfield and, and the trainer and goes, I'm good. I'm 100%. Let's do this. Well, what are the, the things you'll be watching for with Northern Illinois? You know, Coach Rule had talked about how this is a pretty good defensive front. And mm -hmm. um, also, when you got a team that's coming in here that's nothing to lose in an atmosphere like this and, and they've got a quarterback that's familiar with playing Nebraska and, and at this level, I'm, uh, what, what are the things that you'll be looking for out of this team to try to get their first win of the season? Yeah, you know, number one, obviously, who's the quarterback? I'm going to assume that Harburg's going to play. You know, I'm not going to assume that Jeff Sims is going to play. That's going to be a very pleasant surprise for me on Saturday if I see that. But if that's the case, we got to make sure he doesn't get hit early in the pocket. we got to make him feel comfortable because this is going to be arguably the most talented front Nebraska has seen yet. I know, hold your breath, Husker Nation. That's not what you wanted me to, wanted me to say. But overall, NIU has got a very talented defensive front. And so they're going to come after us, especially with the new quarterback. They're going to dial up some blitzes to come after us. So we got to keep him clean in the pocket early. And then Rocky Lombardi, love the dude. I think he's a great name, right? You couldn't ask for a better quarterback <laughs> name in college football. You know, he looked really good against Boston College in the opener. Last week, I think he threw three picks, right? So he's kind of erratic, too. He's a guy that will try and force a ball deep or force it into a multiple triple coverage double coverage because he has a lot of a lot of a lot of confidence in his arm and he, rightfully so dude's a cannon but almost sometimes a little too much confidence and he'll put some up there for us to go get so i do think this is a game we could get some turnovers off of them build some momentum keeping those guys right and then we need to make our kicks not trying to come down on albano here but if we get a chance to score momentum shift all that we got to make sure we're making our kicks all right players to watch offense defense yeah, you know, offensively, I want to see Billy Kemp. I want to see him get more involved in this passing game. You know, we saw flashes of it last week. He needs to be an outlet guy that we can go to at any moment, get himself open, yards after the catch type of thing. And we can't afford for him to have a no-catch game, a five-catch game, a no-catch game, right? We need him to just continue to get better and better. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I want to see Nick Henrich get more involved. I thought he played some great heads-up, heavy IQ plays, and I really want to see him get more involved in this football game, more involved. You know, we have a very talented group of linebackers, so it's going to be hard to decide which ones we want on the field at what time. You know, but he's a guy I think that you can blitz, drop, do a lot of things, and really was pleased with the way that he came back. 
All right. Well, uh, you remember your first home opener. There's gonna, there's a lot of guys, a lot of guys that are going to be running out there for their very first time, and and we're celebrating 100 years of the stadium. Uh, it's going to be a night game. Uh, they, I think they have a light show. All kinds of things going on. I mean, there's there's a lot of emotions to this thing. Also, moving the tunnel walk over to the other corner. Yeah, I mean, there's no one's going to be not excited. Tell you that it's going to be a, an absolute riot. I guarantee you everyone's super excited to get back at home. Two games on the road to start the year is brutal. You know, so everyone's going to be really excited to get back to Memorial Stadium. This is Rule's first time running out in a full Memorial Stadium, right? The spring game's great. Nothing beats the environment of a night game at Memorial Stadium, especially as the home opener. So a lot of excitement. But just like I said against CU in the Keys, managing your emotions and managing your excitement for your home opener is just as equally important for the home team as it is the away team. Right, because you can let that excitement get out there and you can play up way too high and run way too hot and kind of burn yourself out. It's going to be important that Rule manages all these guys and understand hey, it's still just a game, be in the moment, don't look around too much, like take a second, look around, but then get locked right back in with what you got to do. Can you give a um, calm down, and this is the last thing I got, or, or a don't panic type of spiel speech to Oscar Nation going into week three? I wish I could. Um, you know, there's part of me that wants to say everything's going to be fine. We're going to get it. It's going to be good. But the former player in me says, you got to prove it. You know, what we say on here are just words, Jess. And we look at it and we can say, hey, this has got to get better. That's got to get better. And I love in hearing Coach Rule say the same thing in his postgame presser. Like, yeah, they're just words. We have to do it. We have to go out and do it. And when they come out this week and they handle themselves and they do it and they don't turn the football over and they run the ball effectively, they continue to build what they're doing on defense, then I'll hit the less panic button. But right now, this is a pivotal point for this football team. This is a pivotal point to be able to say, hey, okay, let's stop the bleeding. Let's find a way to get ourselves to 2-2 two and two heading into conference play, and we'll go from there. But it all starts on this Saturday night. All right. I love it. I like it. I love the honesty. All right. Well, we'll look forward to it. Hopefully, we're uh, back here next week breaking down the first win of the season for Nebraska football. For Jeremiah Searles, I'm Jessica Cooney. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Go Big Red.